0: Trigger warning, you're about to listen to the American Christian Thinker. Trigger warning. Anybody who can't handle adult conversations, topics, this is your trigger warning that we are giving you right now. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. You are about to be triggered. To be a joke. I do not believe this is happening. I'm literally about to f- Kill I'm not kidding you better fix this right now I literally am gonna die I need an ambulance. welcome to the American Christian thinker I'm so sorry <laughs> to my world I am so sorry to my world this is not what we want Trigger warning you're about to listen to the American Christian thinker trigger warning There's so much potential. For um, we'll beauty and for
1: devastation
0: In this one moment, it's almost incomprehensible that they can peace exist peace right peace now So, and we are grateful so close Obama. Welcome to the American Christian Thinker Welcome to the American Christian Thinker podcast Brought to you by The Theology Pit As Christians, we're called to act and not just sit back. We confront the culture head-on, dealing with social justice warriors, atheists, anti-Christians, cults, and religions. All and any topics will be socially driven. What trends publicly will get attended to publicly. Now, here's your host, Samson Kovac. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Act. This is the American Christian Thinker. Now, the reason we are the American Christian Thinker is because we are looking at what is going on in society from a Christian perspective. And we're doing it. The reason why I get so irritated, the reason why I'm so passionate about this stuff to the point where, you know, I call liberals libtards and people kind of, you know, they tend to get upset and said, well, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. But you know what? No. And I'm not going to say this to say that I think liberals are equal to ISIS because I don't. I just need to find a base Understanding for people to get through their head. When you look at Islam, everybody thinks of Islam as ISIS, okay? And not all of Islam is ISIS, but let's just take ISIS in particular, okay? ISIS is a terrible branch of Islam. It is the most brutal because it is the most like true Islam. It is the most like Muhammad, okay? And people don't like what they do that they crucify people, that they behead Christians, that they burn children alive, that they burn people alive in cages. They drown people. They do mass genocide. And people don't like that. And everybody says, no, that's wrong. And when they see that, when they see those videos, they're like, no, we don't like these people. These people are animals. Okay? When I look at the way that liberals behave and who they vote for, I'm sorry, I have that same type of passion. I'm like, you people, no, you need to be held responsible for what you're saying and for what you're doing. And if you're going to be supporting Democrat candidates like Hillary Clinton and just Democrats in general, they are a disgusting group. And yes, I am putting them all in one group because that's all that the Democratic Party is. That's all that they have ever been. They are horrible people. They are terrible. They have no regard for human life. They are disgusting. If you read Ann Coulter's book, Demonic, you can see just how bad they are and that it seems like they are demon possessed. It honestly does. And you know what the problem is? I know you might be sitting there thinking, oh, Ann Coulter, no, you know, she's terrible. I would never read her. Well, you know what the problem is? Is that liberals prove Ann Coulter right. Read her books, and if you didn't behave like that, if you didn't act like that, then she would be wrong all the time and no one would listen to her. All right, but the fact of the matter is, is that you do behave like that and you are terrible. And I said before with you libtards that you know you can't understand these things because you can't look at stuff from the um, you know, from your perspective of of you know starting from the beginning of your party. So I had to actually start with Hillary Clinton and kind of work my way back into the 1950s so that you could see you know where she particularly came from. But now I'm going to do this from the beginning of the Democrat Party, and I'm going to be talking about you know some of the Democrats. Now the one of the uh, Facebook pages that I follow is called the black sphere okay and the black sphere is a page that is run by kevin jackson all right Kevin Jackson put out a, um, an article that uh, I'm going to read over um, that was written by uh, Robert Zerfing, and I'm going to be adding to this. So it's going to be a couple um, American Christian Thinker podcasts to get this whole thing in, but I think it's very important that you know the history of the Democrat Party, and you know particularly what they do, their behavior, and their pattern, that they are constantly uh, doing over and over and over again, okay? Okay. So here's the start of it. Liberals love to revise American history because they are ashamed of their past. Maybe it is time to set the record straight on things. Here is a timeline of the two parties from beginning until now. For those of you who may not be aware, the year is 2016. The term liberal is synonymous with Democrat. The Democrat Party officially adopted its present name during the presidency of Andrew Jackson in the 1830s, making him the father of the Democrat Party. Though Andrew Jackson did a few great things as president and therefore, and before, Democrats refused to acknowledge any of them because of the Trail of Tears. Amazingly enough, however, they don't even understand that Andrew Jackson wasn't president when the Trail of Tears occurred. For those of you who don't know about the Trail of Tears, this started a troubling trend for the Democrat Party that they still continue to this very day, ignoring Supreme Court rulings. Cherokee Nation v. Georgia, 1831, and Worcester v. Georgia, 1832 were decisions that the Supreme Court passed down which stated that the Native nations were sovereign nations and did not fall under the jurisdiction of the state. Andrew Jackson did not care about these decisions since he signed the Indian Removal Act of 1830 and spent the remainder of his two terms removing the Native nations from their lands. Andrew Jackson's second-term vice president, Martin Van Buren, became his successor and the second Democrat president of the United States. One of Van Buren's first orders as president was the Trail of Tears, not Andrew Jackson. He sent 7,000 troops to Georgia to expedite the process and march the remaining Cherokee holdouts the 1,200 miles To the Indian territory presently known as Oklahoma. It is also important to note that the only measurable thing that the second Democrat president did was oppose the slaves on the Amistad having their freedom. I'll comment on the Amistad a little bit later. But first I want everyone to be familiar with the trail of tears. Now I'm going to play for you a recording that is, um, that was done by the national park service to educate people on the trail of tears. They made a a small movie. It's about 22 minutes long. It's, um, dramatized. And I found the, um, audio version of it for people who are uh, visually impaired. So they will narrate what's going on and also, uh, read the subtitles of the Native Americans, and this is The Trail of Tears. A presentation of
1: the National Park Service, U.S. Department of the Interior. In script, words appear as if being written, Trail of Tears, a drawing of a wooded area, Cherokee Nation, 1828, then an actual wooded scene. Two children, a boy and a younger girl, run amid the brown leaves on the ground and the bare trees. Run, it's after us! Come back! Hurry, it's going to get you! The girl stumbles. Hurry! The girl stands and continues running, reaching a field of low, yellow grasses. A boy reaches a cabin. The girl's grandfather is on the porch and a woman is weaving a basket at a tree. The boy runs past as the girl steps onto the porch. What is the hurry?
2: He said there was a panther in the woods.
1: No panther is out there. And if he was, all you have to do is growl like a bear, and he will run away. Go ahead, growl. Louder. Panther will run away for sure. Maybe your name should be Growling Bear. She smiles. Did you hurt yourself? It was some small thorns. Oh. Let us put some medicine on it. And drops <laughs> a medicine. balm on the scratches on her arm. Oh. Better?
2: She nods. 1828. In the southeast United States, the Cherokee people had settled into a stable life. They lived in cabins, farmed, and spun cotton. They built schools and churches. They embraced many aspects of European life while living by their traditional ways. Two Cherokee men in European dress. At one time, the land of the Cherokee people spanned what is now eight states in the southern Appalachians. A map. But from 1721 to 1819, the Cherokees relinquished much of their territory to the burgeoning United States, reducing the size of the Cherokee nation by over 90 percent.
0: And this part of the um, program is showing a map here. And the Cherokee Nation extended from uh, in Virginia, uh, a large part of Kentucky, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, uh, Georgia, and into uh, northern Alabama. And it was shrunk down to about the Louisiana, Georgia, Tennessee tri-state area. Okay, it didn't even stretch as far over as South Carolina.
2: During the 1700s, the Cherokees endured devastating smallpox epidemics and wars with the colonists. A drawing, a colonist aims a rifle. After the turn of the century, the Cherokee began to rebuild and transform themselves. They would establish a formal government with a police force and a court system. In 1827, the Cherokees wrote a constitution, and the next year, they held a national election. Unlike any other North American tribe, the Cherokee people created their own written alphabet. Invented by a man named Sequoia, it was so ingenious in its design, Cherokees could learn it quickly. The Cherokee people also published the first Indian newspaper, printed in English and Cherokee. The Cherokees lived prosperous and productive lives. But their neighbors in Georgia craved more land for their expanding population. They viewed the Cherokee Nation, its government, and people as a direct threat. A drawing of the Georgia legislature. Georgia did not have the legal right to move the Cherokees themselves, but that would change in 1828 with the election of Andrew Jackson as president of the United States. Regarding the Cherokees, he said, Established in the midst of a superior race, they must disappear. Months after Jackson was elected, the Georgia legislature passed a series of laws taking away the civil rights of Cherokees within their borders. Cherokees could not testify in court. They could not meet in council. Their government was deemed illegal. The editor of the Cherokee newspaper, Elias Boudinot, expressed their outrage.
1: Writing with a quill pen. Here is the secret. Full license to our oppressors and every avenue of justice closed to us. Yes, this is the bitter cup prepared for us. He looks up. Next, prospectors in a stream. The Cherokee people had little time to react
2: before another troubling incident occurred. Gold had been discovered on
1: Cherokee land. The young girl and her grandfather watch from behind tall stems. What are they doing? They're looking for gold. We need to stay quiet. As they look on, the prospectors grapple with each other. Word spread quickly,
2: and people from all over the country flooded into Cherokee land. If hunger for land or the fear of Cherokee sovereignty were not enough to rouse everyday Georgians against the Cherokee nation, the lust for gold was... Within months, 4,000 white intruders were digging and panning for gold. A column of armed men advance. Georgia then moved into Cherokee country with their own militia, the Georgia Guard. They arrested Cherokees who dared to mine gold on Cherokee land. A man in handcuffs. Then in 1829, southern congressmen introduced the Indian Removal Act into Congress. The bill called for the removal of all five southern tribes, the Cherokees, the Choctaws, the Creeks, the Chickasaws, and the Seminoles.
0: The map being shown on the screen is showing where the different uh, tribes were located. The Seminole tribe was located in Florida. We explained where the Cherokee were. Just south of the Cherokee, butting against, up against the Cherokee Nation, were the, um, the Creek tribe. And they were on the uh, Alabama side of Georgia. Okay, Not quite reaching up into Tennessee because the Cherokee Nation was bumping into there. The um, Chickasaw Nation And the uh, Choctaw Nation. Um, Both those nations were mostly in Mississippi. Uh, They kind of spread over the border a little bit um, into Alabama. And the uh, the Chickasaw was also up into Tennessee. But the Choctaw and the Chickasaw were butting up against each other with the uh, Chickasaw being uh, on the northern part and the Choctaw being directly on the southern part
2: to territories west of the Mississippi. Citizen groups from all over the United States sent hundreds of petitions to Congress, Mm. condemning the bill as immoral and destructive. Night, at
1: the cabin, the girl to the porch. What is wrong?
2: Are soldiers really
1: coming? Who told you that? Some boys said that soldiers were going to take us away. They cannot do that. Do not worry. In May of 1830,
2: the Indian Removal Act passed in the House by only five votes. Days later, President Jackson signed it into law. The bill stated that the United States would not violate any prior treaty of any tribe. Chief John Ross and Cherokee leaders took steps to uphold their guaranteed rights. The Cherokee would now fight removal by taking their case to the Supreme Court of the United States. It was a landmark case that was to define Indian sovereignty for centuries to come. Worcester versus the state of Georgia. In March of 1832, Chief Justice John Marshall delivered the majority opinion. The Cherokee
1: Nation is a distinct community, occupying its own territories with boundaries accurately described in which the laws of Georgia can have no force, and which the citizens of Georgia have not the right
2: to enter. The decision was unequivocal. Georgia had no jurisdiction over the land or the government of the Cherokee Nation. But in Washington, Andrew Jackson ignored the Supreme Court's decision and continued to advocate
0: removal. Geez, that's not like any other type of uh, Democrat policy, any type of Democrat president. When Democrats don't like something, they just ignore the law. Jackson had
2: told a Georgia congressman, Build a fire under them. When it gets hot enough, they'll move. Seven months after the Supreme Court ruled that Cherokees were clear owners of their land, georgia held a lottery the prize cherokee land thousands signed up men jostled to deposit their entries in cherokee country lucky lottery winners were soon collecting their winnings and moving cherokees out of their homes if cherokees did not go voluntarily the georgia militia used force men with rifles break into a cherokee cabin the girl cries in her mother's arms Many Cherokee families found themselves homeless in their own country. A Cherokee dish splinters. Eager to move the Cherokees out, Georgia citizens intensified their harassment. Cherokee leaders sent a letter to the federal government pleading for protection.
1: The lowest classes of white people are flogging the Cherokees with cowhides, hickories,
0: and clubs. We are not safe in our house. Don't you find it interesting that when the Democrats want something and they want to oppress a people, what they do is they form some type of terrorist group to go in and actually deal with those people? This theme is going to come up again in roughly about 75 years from this point that we're at.
2: Cherokees faced a crisis that pushed them to a breaking point. Some Cherokee leaders saw their nation crumbling under the oppressive laws of Georgia, and in a desperate effort to get the best deal possible, negotiated a removal treaty.
1: A Cherokee elder
2: signs a document. At New Echota in December of 1835, this small group of Cherokees signed a treaty. In their eyes, they did it to save their nation. But with 90% of Cherokees strongly opposed to removal, they did it in violation of Cherokee nation law. Spring, 1836. When the new Echota Treaty was sent to the Senate for ratification, the Cherokee people took action. A petition was signed by almost 90% of the Cherokee people. Hundreds of pages
1: were sewn together. In a cabin, Cherokee women and girls sew pages. The grandfather approaches his granddaughter. My little growling bear, what are you doing? Grandpa, this is a petition. Almost everyone's name is here. A petition? Against the treaty. You taught me, if we growl loud
2: enough,
1: I remember. I will help you with this.
2: The petition was taken to Congress by Cherokee
1: Chief John Ross. Next, the elderly man and his granddaughter are alone. Those papers we wrote three months ago, they did not pass them. They denied us. Really? The petitions were not honored. I guess we were not that important to them
2: go The Cherokee Nation had won their case in the Supreme Court. They had shown the federal government that the majority of their people did not want to move, but it was not enough. The Senate ratified the new Echota Treaty. Now the Cherokees would be forced to leave. Two years later, in May of 1838, 6,000 federal and state militia troops
1: enter Cherokee country. The elderly man, frowning, gazes out a window. Slowly, he brings a lit candle to where his granddaughter is sleeping. He sits and stares at her. May 26,
2: 1838. On the 26th of May, the roundup began.
1: A Cherokee man pounds at a horseshoe, then looks up. Armed men stand nearby. A soldier approaches two women carrying a basket. Soldiers on horses come up from behind. As soldiers look on, Cherokee people file out of a cabin, carrying belongings the girl and her grandfather emerge, she rests her head on his shoulder. Don't cry. It is going to turn out fine.
2: Soldiers captured men, women and children and marched them from their homes. Cherokees were held at nearby forts, and then forced into large prison camps near river docks. Within weeks, 16,000 Cherokees had been taken captive.
1: Surrounded by other Cherokee, the girl holds her grandfather's arm. The two pause as they approach many small tents. An aerial view of the camp.
2: Lieutenant John Phelps assisted
1: in the roundup. I could not but think that some fearful retribution would come upon us. The scene seemed to me like a distempered dream or something worthy of the dark ages than the present reality.
2: Cherokees were to be transported west on barges, but after two detachments had left, drought rendered the river level too low on the third detachment soldiers marched over a thousand cherokees 200 miles downstream to waiting barges it was hot before the detachment
1: reached the west 146 cherokees had died a blazing sun hangs in the sky as cherokees slowly walk
2: at the prison camps the heat and the drought postponed the march at fort cass and ross's landing in tennessee The camps grew to hold as many as 4,000 Cherokees each. Cherokees had no access to their medicine or traditional food. Diseases broke out. The Cherokee missionary, Daniel Buttrick, visited the camps and offered assistance. Half the infants, six months or a
1: year, and all the aged, over 60, had been killed directly, and one-fourth of the remainder. There seems to be no place, nor means, nor time for the recovery of any who are now sick. A woman holds a small bundle and wails as Buttrick looks on. A crescent moon glows in the night sky.
2: Determined Cherokees refuse to surrender their lives, their nation, and their spirit to the impending doom. At the Fort Cass prison camp, the Cherokee Council met. They passed a resolution affirming their nation.
1: The inherent sovereignty of the Cherokee Nation, together with the Constitution, are hereby in full force.
2: Chief John Ross then made a daring request to General Winfield Scott. He asked that the Cherokees be allowed to manage their own removal. Scott agreed. In late summer, the first of 13 detachments departed the prison camps under the management of the Cherokee Nation. The last detachment left in December. Wagons carried the sick and elderly. The weather turned bitter cold. It was to be the harshest winter in years.
1: Bundled only in thin clothing and blankets, the Cherokee march in line through a wooded area. The girl and her grandfather hold hands. The old man bends over. Others reach out to him. They sit him down with his back against a tree. He closes his eyes tightly and winces. His granddaughter turns away. Nearby, two women grieve over a body. Mm -hmm. Cherokee again begin walking.
2: The trail wound along dusty roads, over hills, through the bitter cold of winter and discouraging relentless rain and wind across Tennessee, Kentucky, Illinois, Missouri, and Arkansas. A Cherokee adult carries a small child. In March of 1839, the last detachment arrived in the new territory. Although the march was over, the hardships continued. Setting up life in a strange land took its toll and many more Cherokees died during the first year. Most had marched over 800 miles. These routes, one by water, carried 12 to 13,000 Cherokees. A map is shown. Conservative estimates indicate that at least 2,000 Cherokees died as a result of removal. A small funeral. Yet, if their culture was to survive, they had no choice but to start again. So in 1838, the Cherokee people began the slow process of reconstructing their entire society.
1: The grandfather and girl embrace, he smiles.
2: For many other Indian tribes, the Trail of Tears reflects their story. An estimated 70,000 Indians, including many other tribes all over the United States, were forced from their homelands. Each endured devastating hardships. To ensure that this tragedy and the events along this trail are not forgotten, the United States Congress in 1987 passed a bill to establish the Trail of Tears National Historic Trail. Park Service signage. The National Park Service administers the protection, interpretation, and preservation of the trail. With several thousand miles of land and water routes, visitors can learn more about the Trail of Tears at a wide variety of sites. Places like Blythe Ferry, Tennessee. From August to November 1838, more than 9,000 Cherokees and Creeks paid to cross the Tennessee River on a small ferry here. Village Creek, Arkansas, where thousands of weary feet cut a deep trail through the earth. Pea Ridge, Arkansas, near the end of a long and devastating journey, exhausted Cherokees gathered strength to cover the final miles. These are just a few sites that have been protected as a reminder of the grim realities of the Trail of Tears. The elderly man chats animatedly with his granddaughter. Over the years, the Cherokee Nation and its people have rebuilt and transformed. Today, they are one of the largest Indian populations in the United States. The Cherokee Nation has regained many of its sovereign rights and is one of the largest employers in eastern Oklahoma. A modern classroom. Throughout it all, Cherokees have remained connected to their traditional values. Here, one will not hear the anguished voice of a forgotten and broken people. Instead, one might hear the pride of a people who faced overwhelming adversity and persevered. Cherokee children romp. In the mountains of North Carolina is the Eastern band of Cherokee Indians, comprised in part of descendants of those Cherokees who escaped the Roundup and hid in the mountains. Today, as with their Western relatives, they have flourished while retaining their culture. A woman beading. The story of the Trail of Tears reveals one of the darkest chapters of American history. It uncovers events of devastating oppression, injustice, and cruelty. But this story also brings to light acts of humanity and courage. It reveals an enduring spirit of people that transcends race. And today, if we explore this story and keep it alive, it will not only serve as a stern caution, it may also inspire.
0: This is the start of the Democrat Party. That's how the Democratic Party started. Think about that. How did the Republican Party start? Do you know who the first Republican president was? Abraham Lincoln. And what did he do? What is he known for? What's he most famous for? You think about that, and the Democrats continue on with this racism. First, it was with the Indians and with the Africans, because as we see later on, and what I'll talk about later on with um, the slaves on the Amistad, and what happened during that, that the second uh, Democrat president did to them. Believe me, Democrats learned their lessons, okay? They learned about this. In this presentation, you heard that the Cherokee Nation has been able to build itself up, grow in numbers, and keep getting back their sovereignty, fighting it in the courts. Well, believe me, the Democrats won't let that happen again. The next time they oppress a people, they're going to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And that will come up later. But this is why, here at the American Christian Thinker, we are abolitionists. We are the ones that fought to free the slaves. We are the ones who fought to make sure that people weren't oppressed. We are the ones that fight to make sure that people have their rights. And we are the ones that are fighting against abortion today. Okay, people ask me, are you pro-life? I tell them, no, no, I'm an abolitionist. I'm anti-abortion, okay? So don't think that I sit there and say, well, all life is sacred, as though I'm some pantheist or some panentheist because that's not what I am and that's not what Christians are. Read Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel before you listen to the next American Christian thinker if you like so you can hear about what's going to go on with these Democrats and their oppression of the next race of people that they put their sights on because they just want power. They hate the American way. They hate what America stands for and they're just here to destroy it. Libtards, you need to know your history. Stop reading pseudo-historians like Howard Zinn. That man's work that he's done on uh, a a young people's history of the United States, that is crap. That is one of the worst history books that I've ever read and one of the most biased history books that I've ever read. It is completely slanted and it is just completely ridiculous and I've read a lot of history books and that's the worst and that's the one that's being used in school. That's the one that people are being educated for. He is a racist. That book is a racist. It's a completely racist history. And it is completely against white people because they want to divide, and there's a reason for that. And we'll be getting to that in the next American Christian Thinker. Thank you for listening to today's act.